This world is plagued by chaos, harshness, and difficulty. Its unforgiving landscape hardened by sin like a barren rock lacks sympathy and love, leaving us feeling isolated, defeated, hopeless, and alone. Yet Christ has not called us out of the world, but sent us into it. Why is this? When we look closely, we can see his divine fingerprints, the very marks which allow us to look beyond the fleeting moments before us and through them to the vast expanse of eternity. It is here that we can joyfully acknowledge that every moment of our lives is significant and holds great purpose. A purpose to embody the life of Christ in every circumstance that a watching world may know Him. This is the life that shines like a light in the darkness. This is the book of Philippians. Pretty epic music, I think, for that video. <laughs> good evening, everyone. My name is Danny, and it is uh, so good for us to continue on in our journey in the book of Philippians. Um, we started it last week, so if this is your first time here, guys, you're only one week out from the beginning of the series, which is awesome. Um, you can always go back and podcast if you really would like to. Uh, but before we get into the book of Philippians just yet, I want to talk about something that, um, that kind of goes without saying, that our culture, our world is in a very, very polarized cultural moment, right? Like we all can feel that. We sense it in our break rooms. We see it on TV. We see it as we're doom scrolling through social media. We see it everywhere. Now, the world has been polarized in ebbs and flows at different points throughout human history. But one thing that's a little bit more consistent than just polarization is the concept of tribalism. See, all of us want to belong, right? Like none of us love feeling lonely, right? Maybe some of us are more introverted and we kind of get fueled up when we get to go and take a nice walk by ourselves or go to the parks by ourselves or go see a movie by ourselves, whatever that is, right? But none of us love feeling lonely. Loneliness isn't fun. It's a difficult reality when you feel lonely. So we want to belong. We want a people to belong into, And that's a good thing. We're actually hardwired as human beings with that in mind. We want to belong to something greater than just ourselves. Everyone wants that. Now, where that can get very unhelpful is when we we want to belong at the expense of excluding others, when it turns into an us versus them. And that's the concept of tribalism. It's the innate desire to segregate the us from the them. So we separate ourselves based on appearance thoughts, beliefs, political identities, where we might come from in just about any conceivable way where you could make an us and a them. And we make that our reality. Now, I wish I could say that's just what people in the media or politicians do, but I know that tendency in my own heart. Um, in fact, uh, in, in fact, 
I was thinking this week about um, an occurrence that happened years ago, about seven years ago, when I first started at Mosaic at WW. I was doing a residency at that point. And when I was doing my residency, I was talking with one of my good friends um, who was a campus pastor then, a guy named Brady. And I was talking with him because there was another church that just was planted in the area and they wanted to reach Walt Disney World cast members. And I was ticked. I was like, this is our mission. What are they doing? Like they're stepping on our territory. And I remember going to Brady and like, like that's not an exaggeration of how I sounded to him. I was that stupid. Like, like I was like, what are they? And they even like copied some of the things that we did at that time. And I was like, what? Like, do you know what they're doing? And Brady, Brady, if some of you know Brady, this is going to be spot on what you'd have expected Brady to go in that moment. And he goes, "Mm." (laughs) oh, Brady's listening to this. Um, He goes, "Mm." praise God. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he goes, praise God. And he's like, Danny, did you really think we were reaching 70,000 cast members by by ourselves? Yes. Like, I don't know what I was thinking in that moment, but, but I was so frustrated because I wanted an us versus a them. Cause that is the, that's the tendency of my heart. And that moment was like, honestly, it's one of those light bulb conversations that you have in life where all of a sudden, like, you're like, oh, this changes everything. And since then, it's been a journey for me in learning about this concept of unity, of partnership. See, is division in tribalism, the best we can hope for. We see it in the church all the time, right? We see how many denominations and divisions and church splits and church schisms that there are all the time in any version, in any locality. How are we supposed to be the united church of Jesus when we consider one another to be rivals, competition? So is that the best we can hope for? Or is partnership and unity possible even? or even desirous? Do we want that? See, when we look at this concept, we have to look at it as two different levels. The collective ownership, us together, as the church together. What does this mean for our community? And then for us personally, as individuals, what should this mean to me? Now, this is where we're going into as we start in the book of Philippians tonight. Because you see, last week we began our series in Philippians, receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul, and he calls it out with the marks of grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to them as a fellow worker with them. And he is so excited to write this letter to this church in the city of Philippi. Now, we discovered last week that the main theme of this book is that the gospel is, the gospel of Jesus is good news for all of life. The gospel of Jesus is good news for all of life. That might seem like a no-brainer, but think about it. Do you truly believe that the gospel is good news in every aspect of your life right now? So now, Paul moves past that introduction into a prayer of greeting. And within this prayer, what we're going to see is he's, we're going to discover such beauty and a compelling vision for the concept of gospel partnership. So we're in the book of Philippians chapter one, starting in verse three. Uh, if you haven't received one of the scripture journals, be sure to get one as you are leaving tonight. Um, these have the entire book of Philippians in it and you can journal. Uh, and it's really, really helpful to have such a, a small version of the book with you um, on, 
in my backpack, I keep it so that I can read over this um, and study it as well. So, uh, and if you're using a digital version of the Bible, you can um, read out of the English Standard Version uh, if you want to be able to follow along easily. So let's go ahead and start in verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Not some, not every once in a while when I think of you, I am grateful. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, something worth noting, uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but in our English language, we don't have a really good word. We don't typically have a good word for a plural version of the word you. But in this book, whenever you see the word you, with almost without exception, whenever you see that word, it's actually a plural version of the word you in the Greek language. Now, um, shout out to our Texans in the room, but uh, they have a word to describe this. It's y'all, right? So that, that word y'all, I actually now like, superimpose that when I'm reading the scriptures. So now I'm going to read it again so that you would see that this is being written to a collective of people, to a you all, a y'all. So I thank my God in all my remembrance of y'all, always in every prayer of mine for y'all, making my prayer with joy because of y'all's partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Changes it up a little bit, right? But it's, it's this idea that's not just about you as an individual, although you're included because it's about us as a collective. It's about all of us together. And Paul is writing this to an entire church saying, y'all, I think my God, whenever I'm thinking about you, y'all, whenever I think about this wonderful church, not just one individual, but all of you, I thank my God. And you can just sense Paul's thankfulness, his incredible gratitude, his joy like leaps off the pages of the book of Philippians. I'll probably say that just about every week because every week is such an emotional thing for Paul in this letter. He doesn't take one word for granted. He's talking with such joy always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Can you imagine Paul writing this begrudgingly or frustratingly? Let's try that. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Like that's not Paul's attitude at all, right? Like he's exuding joy as he's writing this. It is like leaking on every word. Now, why? Why does he have this incredible joy? Is it because of his circumstances? No. If you remember last week when we started, Paul was in prison. We continue on. Paul is still in prison. And uh, he has been there for four, likely four years in the heart of Rome, unable to go anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. It's likely that he has been there for four years awaiting trial, pending execution, unable to go do any of the things that God has hardwired him to do. He can't go preach the gospel in person. He can't go encourage people in person. He can't go plant new churches in person. He is unable to attend to all the things that God has hardwired into his heart. I mean, it's hard enough. Could you imagine? He is imprisoned on false trumped up charges for four years without trial. Like that sounds like a really difficult and frustrating moment, right? In life. 
But then you add into it that this is the Apostle Paul. This guy has such charismatic care. He wants to go out there and be at the front lines. Instead, it's like he's been sidelined for four years. So if his joy is rooted in circumstances, I couldn't imagine how. He is working remotely, except he doesn't even have the option of Zoom, right? So instead, he has these letters. He has some parchment and some quills, and he's going at it. I mean, wouldn't it be bad enough knowing that you are innocent? Just out of that reality that he has detained from all that God has called and equipped him to do, at least seemingly so. See, while I imagine that Paul had some frustrating nights of prayer with the Father, Paul in this letter doesn't seem very discouraged. He seems actually downright giddy. He seems like he's the happiest person in all of Rome, which is weird because he is in this really bad situation. So why? What is this rooted in? Well, first, it's rooted in the gospel. But specifically in this, we find out a specific because. So always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Gospel partnership. If you're a note-taking kind of person, write that phrase down. Gospel partnership. We talked about this phrase um, a little bit and when we were in the book of Philemon a couple weeks ago. It, the Greek word is the word kononia. And kononia is a partnership rooted in mutual affection. It is a mission-focused partnership. It is partnership, with, though, with deep care and respect. So going back to the book of Philemon, there's the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, who is his former slave, and that they were supposed to be reconciled to perceive each other as gospel partners. They were being called into koinonia with one another. And koinonia is not begrudging friendship. It's not like, well, Paul said we have to hang out now or work on that school project together, so now we got to do it. Like, it's not that at all. It's not reluctant coworkers. It's not like, you know, you're, you're working at Disney or whatever, and then you, you pull where you're supposed to go next from CDS, and then you find out, and you're like, oh, I know who's going to be working there. Oh, no. I guess we'll work by each other. Hopefully, they don't talk a lot. They always talk a lot. They're going to talk a lot. Now they're talking a lot. Like that moment. Like, that's totally not this. Fully reconciled gospel partners. And this is Paul's heart for the church in Philippi, that they are his gospel partners and he is theirs. They are better together than they are apart. That, that phrase, that was actually turned into a question. This was a major question that when Allie and I, my wife Allie and I, when we were moving towards um, engagement and into marriage, we talked through this a lot. Dude, we believe that we serve Jesus better together than we did apart. That was so vital that we understood because in marriage, your number one gospel partner is your spouse. It's a two-way street. It's a beautiful one. And it's out of mutual respect and love, not reluctance, not begrudgingness, but true joy and love. And this is how Paul epitomized gospel partners with the church in Philippi. See, when you discover that you are better together than you are apart, what emotion should that produce? absolute joy, right? Like this is good. This is good stuff. Like we have a relationship here that's actually really good. 
That's enjoyable. That's fun. That in the midst of the, the difficult circumstances, I can rely on. Absolute joy because we are not alone. We are not alone. That Paul in prison is not alone. See, while Paul is in chains, here's, here's the good news. The gospel is not. The gospel is not in chains. The gospel is on the move, expanding the kingdom of God throughout the ancient world and specifically over here in this outpost of Philippi. See, Jesus, he simplified the good news of the gospel to one simple phrase, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And he did that through his substitutionary death on the cross. That is, he hung on the cross. He made payment for our sin, our brokenness, our death, our destruction, our rebellion, our loneliness, our isolation, our fear, our desire to define good and bad on our own terms. He paid for all of that through his blood so that we could now be reconciled to him and that we could be reconciled to one another. And that's good news. See, Jesus was redeeming the unredeemed spaces of planet death to be an expansion of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, Jesus talks about, right? That it is slowly, that it is expanding. It starts so small, but infinitesimal. But what happens is mind-blowing as it expands. And that is the kingdom of God coming to bear on earth as it is in heaven. So when Paul is talking about partnership in that gospel, he is tapping into the beautiful truth that the kingdom of God is on the move and it will not be contained. It cannot be contained. It will continue to expand as it has, as it was in Philippi for all the way of a decade at this point. Remember last week, we talked about their story a little bit, right? From Acts 16, when that church started, we get this, Last week, we talked about there was this unexpected church that was planted in an unexpected area. And there were th- at least there were three individuals who it, it specifically cites their conversion experience when they came to faith in Jesus. You have Lydia, who is an immigrant businesswoman. You have um, a formerly possessed uh, slave girl. And you have a blue collar government employee, just to name a few. And like out of this ragamuffin crew, God began a gospel work. So when we read this and it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, they knew which day he was talking about. There was a day when Lydia came to Christ. Then soon after the slave girl came to Christ. Then soon after the Roman jailer came to Christ. And soon after Paul was kicked out. And even though they didn't even have Paul anymore, the grace of God was still evident in this church and people are coming to faith in Philippi. Like this is really good news. So when Paul is saying, I have seen our gospel partnership from the first day, that's not just like a cutesy phrase. Literally, there's a recorded first day until now. See, this unlikely church plant in this unlikely location became an outpost for the kingdom of God in the middle of Philippi, a place that was known for its rigid nationalism towards Rome, for their absolute allegiance to Caesar. This baby Rome became an outpost for the kingdom of God. And that was an encouragement to Paul. It actually exuded his heart with joy and passion. So as we continue, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
You might have heard that verse before. But now in context, you get a little bit more of the full weight and beauty of this verse, right? It's not just about the good work that God is completing and starting in me, although it is that. It's what he is doing in us. It's what he is doing in the midst of gospel partnerships. That work that God has done in affecting gospel partnerships. And here's why this is such good news. The good work was not your idea or mine. It wasn't based on your bravery, cunning, uh, intelligence, or wittiness. It was not your dream. He started it. Now, our temptation is to kind of view gospel partnership kind of like um, imagineering. Now, here's why I say that. Um, I love the stories of Imagineers and Imagineering. I, it was one of my favorite parts when I was a tour guide before Keys of the Kingdom. And I loved studying their stories. Individuals like Raleigh Crump, uh, Mary Blair, John Hinch, Exitensio, these different Imagineers who did all these wonderful and amazing creative things um, for the Walt Disney Company. All of them are directly responsible for the, all the, the magical realities at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland. Now, here's the thing. None of them were Walt Disney, right? He started the dream, but they partnered alongside him in the execution because Walt didn't have all those technical skills. He had a visionary ability, but he didn't have the ability himself to execute all of that. Instead, he would hand those dreams over to the Imagineers and they would get it done. And then then it would be handed over to the cast members who would continue to execute on those dreams. And I think that's the way we kind of think about the way the gospel works in our lives. That it's that God needs us. That somehow God is insufficient on his own from affecting his good work. And so therefore I need to be smart. I need to figure it out. I need to figure everything out myself. I need to do this good work in myself. All right, yeah, the gospel was good news once when I prayed a prayer, but now it's on me to figure it out. It's on me to be better. It's on me to do more. It's on me to earn it. Because you see, so often we think of the grace as simply about salvation, The grace of Jesus Christ is simply about salvation. But the reality is the grace of Jesus Christ is also about sustainment and sanctification. That idea that it is only by his grace that we become more made into the image of Jesus. That we are refined. All we have to do is abide. But so easily, that's, we flip the script. We believe that God doesn't have it. And then we're terrified when we realize we also don't have it. So then we're like, who has it? We are saved by grace and we are sanctified and sustained by grace. You see, God begins, sustains, and completes the work himself. Yet he delights in inviting us in the story as his kids. Our son, Asher, who's three, um, he loves helping Allie and I around the house. Like he really does. He del- and we delight in his efforts. He's not the best at it though, right? Like he's three. So we're vacuuming with our actual vacuum and he has a, a fake Dyson vacuum that he's pretty sure actually works. And he's like coming alongside and it's really cute. Or we're making breakfast and we'll actually like give him little manageable pieces of breakfast that he can actually participate in, right? We love to watch him help. And it's really fun and it's cute. Now, the reality is in him doing so, he typically makes a mess along with it. So then we're kind of coming and cleaning up behind him. But we delight in his effort. We delight in watching that partnership form and grow. 
See, Allie and I are ultimately guiding him, giving him specific parts of the job that he can accomplish. The beauty of that, the beauty of that is that there's a partnership there. There's a partnership there. Is Asher needed? No. Are we needed? No. In fact, what does Jesus say in Luke 18, 40? He's talking about his disciples and he says, if these remained silent, the rocks would cry out. God's gonna do what God's gonna do with or without us. But the cool part is, is that he is inviting us into the story with him. We're his kids and he is welcoming us into the adventure with him so that we don't have to be alone, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can come in with him, that we don't have to think that the world is now on our shoulders, which guys, I struggle with all the time. But we don't have to because he is doing the good work. We are the kids that are invited in on the work with him. In other words, God can and will expand the kingdom without us, yet he delights in inviting us into the story because he begins, he sustains, he completes the work. So whether you are imprisoned for your faith like Paul or seeing such beautiful gospel fruit in your life and conversations at work, we are freed up from the responsibilities of the result. We plant, God grows. We water, God grows. God's actually doing it. All we are called to is the word faithfulness. That's all we're called into. And I promise we're going to botch it up every which way, right? And God's going to have to come right behind us and clean up. I mean, the the history of the church is God constantly cleaning up our messes, right? Because it's not because the church is so bad. It's because we're humans, because we're we're toddlers. (laughs) And God comes up lovingly, sweeping us back into his arms, because we don't got it all together, but he does. And that's good news. He begins, he sustains, he completes the work. Now in verses seven and eight, Paul continues, it is right for me to feel this way about y'all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So again, like you're seeing all this very emotive language that Paul's using, how emotional he is, that he is literally yearning for them with the affection of Christ Jesus, that he is, that he holds them in his heart. Because sometimes you can think of authors of the scriptures like Paul as these intellectuals frozen in a tower, riding down from on high. But you see in Paul that he isn't seeing himself as somehow superior or better or removed from. He is seeing himself as a partner and he is so emotionally captivated. It's raw and genuine emotion here, right? And what he says, it's right that I feel this way. In other words, it's appropriate for me to feel this way about y'all. His love for them is so deep and he wants them to know it because they've been partakers of grace with him in his imprisonment. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, in Roman social norms, If you are connected with somebody who is imprisoned under Roman authority, then you should sever that that connection with them until their trial is completed. Because there was an honor-shame culture going on as one major piece. And the other is Paul is specifically on charges of being opposed with sedition against the empire of Rome. So he is literally, to be associated with Paul, is to associate with the literally the enemy of Rome. So they had every right and nobody would have looked at them weird if they had been like, hey, Paul, we're gonna go ahead and like stop talking to you for a minute until you get this whole business figured out. But they have 
instead leaned into their gospel partnership with him. They have continued to support him financially, caring for his needs, giving him encouragement, even sending Epaphroditus to him because they've been partakers of grace by continuing their faithful gospel ministry. You see, they have endured on mission in Philippi, doing the same thing that Paul has always been about, which is going and making disciples of Jesus. They're just doing it in a different location, in a different circumstance. So when Paul says, for you are all partakers, the word partakers is that same word koinonia, gospel partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I, um, I get this magazine uh, it's called Voice of the Martyrs, and it's really, really good. Um, it's about the persecuted church. And the stories in here um, bolster Ali and I's faith. I was reading just a little bit ago um, a story of a sister. Her name is Sanja, or Sanj- Sanjana, um, and she's in Cairo, Egypt. She came to faith in Jesus. And in doing so and leaving the faith of her family, um, her family beyond didn't like it. They, they literally imprisoned her in her home and the family members took turns beating her to the point that her bones became deformed um, and that she has major scarring. And she ended up eventually getting kicked out of the family completely. And I love this quote though. As for why she never rejected her faith in Christ during the years of severe abuse, she gave a sound biblical example. Suppose I was living in the pigsty like the prodigal son. Then you cleaned me, you washed me, eating clean food, wearing clean clothes. How can I go back just to escape suffering? I am an ambassador to my God now. How can I become a slave once more? She's a gospel partner. She's our sister. She's our sister in the family of God. And when I, when I read stories like this, when I read stories like this, my heart is both broken and encouraged because the reality is that our circumstances are very different than hers, right? But our mission is identical. To go make disciples of Jesus, to go make Jesus known in our world. We don't have to face, we may not face imprisonment for our faith, but we partner with our brothers and sisters who are, as we learn their names, we hear their stories, and we offer prayers for them. See, so we become partakers with them of grace. Remember, for Paul, this wasn't formal and it's not for us, so it's not that we should feel guilty that we're supposed to go and do anything right now. For Paul, this is a deep longing that we have so, that they mean so much to him. And in that light, that's what the gospel is supposed to do, that these are our brothers and sisters in the family of God. So therefore our hearts should be formed and formulating into a place where we want to care, where we desire to know them. This is actually how I feel um, when Paul is talking in verse eight. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, this is how I think of uh, my, one of my best friends, Miles, and his wife, Elizabeth. Miles and Elizabeth are some of Ali and I's best friends in the world. Um, we met them when we were living in Shanghai. And uh, we, uh, Miles led worship at the church I worked at um, over in Shanghai. And we just, we love them. They adopted Asher, um, Asher's two brothers. Um, so our relationship's literally very, very close. Um, but now they live in Hong Kong. 
We haven't lived near them in almost five years now um, since we moved back to the States. But they are our faithful gospel partners. Um, if I were to explain to you how much Ali and I's hearts yearn for them to be near us, it would just be hard to categorize it. We yearn for them. We, we can't wait till the next time we get to see them and the boys. But I take a ton of comfort in the truth that Miles at the church he's working at and the, the community he is in in Hong Kong for him and Elizabeth, that they are doing faithful gospel ministry there. That even though I would love for the distance to be shrunk, just like Paul wishes the distance between him and the church in Philippi was shrunk, he is confident and desirous because we are on the same mission just in a few different locations. See, this is the beauty of gospel partnerships. We are never alone, even when we walk in the valley, even when it feels like death is around us, even when we feel isolated, even if it feels like nobody understands, we are never alone. See, that's the beauty of gospel partnership, that, that the kingdom of God is expanding and not just in one geographic location or through one local church, but through the family of God expanding from here, Texas, California, across the globe in India, in China. The kingdom of God is expanding. And that's good news. That's exciting. And it should produce joy in our hearts. Now remember, gospel partnerships are also meant to be a two-way street. For Paul, he's writing this letter as a thank you letter for their radical generosity to him and for their sending of Epaphroditus to him. See, Paul is actually a beneficiary of this gospel partnership. You might tend to think that it, it's always a one-way street with a guy like Paul. I mean, it's Paul. And, but yet he is actually the recipient of so much from this church. He is also a contributor he is writing this letter to them to build their church up. He's actually going to send back Epaphroditus. He's even going to send Timothy later on to help them and to build up their ministry, to be an encouragement to them. Because he can't go, they'll go in his stead. See, we don't do this alone. When you are feeling alone in your break room, when you are feeling alone in um, your roommate situation, when you are feeling alone in your family situation, you're not alone because we're not alone because we have one another. And that's, that's meant to be an encouragement to our souls. So this is what we do because we're never alone. We enter into gospel partnerships. We know that there are others who are drawing near to Jesus and helping others to do the same across Walt Disney World and across the world. So what does gospel partnership look like practically? Well, the reality is it can take many forms. In fact, almost an infinite amount of forms as we are called into the act. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of fire off some different examples, both ways that we are currently doing it together, maybe some of you are doing it as individuals and hopefully being challenged along the way. So I'm gonna start from within these walls and work our way out. So let's start with this. Take a look around the room. Make eye contact with one another. I know that's super weird. We don't make eye contact in this world anymore. But take a look around. Make eye contact with one another. Again, I know it's weird. These are your gospel partners. I'll say that again. These are your gospel partners. We are not just a crew of people that come in to worship and to hear a message. We are not just people that are kind of similar because we have Jesus in common. We are brothers and sisters 
We are family. We are gospel partners. You might not know each other super well just yet, and that's okay. But we are gospel partners, and we need the encouragement of one another. That's the importance. That's the beauty of the local church. That's why it's so important to find a local church that you can call home and belong to, to be known and to know others. It's not just about casually attending. It's about coming in and truly being invited into the family. See, we need one another. Um, in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is my favorite book and movie of the franchise, um, there's, a, there's a moment, I've probably mentioned it five times from the stage before, but still such a good moment, where Harry is feeling super isolated and he believes none of his friends can understand him. He's all alone. And so he goes on a walk and he sees Luna Lovegood and Luna's um, a little loony and um, it's literally her nickname. And um, so he's talking with her and, and her response is, I'm sure that's exactly how Voldemort would want you to feel all alone because you're not nearly as much of a threat if you believe you're all alone. Voldemort's not real but we have a spiritual enemy who is. And he's like nothing more than you feel isolated and misunderstood all alone. The church has failed you and will keep failing you and it'll never do right by you. That's what the enemy would love for us to believe. But we can belong when we link arms with one another, with other gospel partners who are imperfect, by the way. But we do it. And when we do it, what we discover is the good news of Jesus is real and applicable today. Because when we are having rough days, we need each other. When we have this epically great day where we have a conversation about Jesus with a coworker and they're receptive in the break room. And we're like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome. You need somebody to go share that with and pray with. We need each other. See, as a community, we need each other. Um, as a, as a community, we are gospel partners with the Winter Garden Campus of Mosaic Church. They help resource us and we help further the mission of making disciples at Walt Disney World. We are gospel partners with the Independentcostal Church the, who own this building that we rent from them. They actually view us, even though theologically we have some different differences, they view us as their ministry to cast members of Walt Disney World. And then they take the money that we pay them for this rent and they immediately send it to church planting back in India. Gospel partnership. Isn't that cool? See, in our mission of reaching Walt Disney World with the love of God, we cannot do it alone. We need gospel partners. As Brady so adequately put it, we cannot reach 70,000 cast members with one church or even one flavor of church. We need others. And that's why I'm actually really excited to just share this with you guys. At the end of the month, I'm going to get to sit down with dinner with a bunch of the other leaders of um, different Disney-sensitive um, churches and parachurch ministries, um, Crew and Agape Source and a few others as well. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to sit down for dinner. I didn't get it all together. It was another parachurch ministry that was able to get everyone down for dinner together. And the focus is to build relationships to learn from one another. I'm excited to learn, to delight in hearing their gospel stories. Like that is gospel partnership. So here's the question. 
That's from a collective level. Now from an individual level, especially for those of you who work at Walt Disney World, who can you partner with in the gospel in your workplace? Who are those believers? Who can you partner with? Maybe they go to another church. If they, well, if they go to a Bible teaching, gospel preaching church, then which, if they don't belong to Mosaic, is fairly irrelevant. Partner with them. It's not a competition. They are partners. They need you and you need them. Isn't it so easy to get in the cycle in your break rooms of all the gossip and stuff? Wouldn't it be great to have some gospel partners who can help point you in a way that does not lead you down that same path? And who knows what might happen? Maybe in that partnership, you guys begin to pray over your break room and over your work location. And in that, God might begin to do something incredible in your space. And then who knows? Maybe somebody comes to faith in Jesus and becomes a part of a local church. But what if they don't come to Mosaic? Great. (laughs) Like, go join a local church. There's a lot of good ones in the area. Go. It's not about our glory. It's about the glory of Jesus being made known at Walt Disney World. Now, as a church, again, as a collective, how do we partner in the gospel with those outside of our unique missional context of Walt Disney World? Well, as a church, we do this through a church planning organization called Acts 29, which we belong to. It's... um, a church planning network where we support and learn from other churches both around this area and around the world. And we support and fund church plants all in some wild and crazy places around the globe. It's beautiful. Um, you might remember uh, my friend Mello who taught here a few months ago. Um, Mello is, him and his wife, Nicole, are planting a church in Apopka um, on the outskirts of Orlando. And their church is called One Family Church. Now, here's what's so cool about this. Mosaic Church, the Grove Church, which is in Claremont, um, Grace Alive Church, which is in Pine Hills, Summit Church, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, Acts 29, the Great Commission Baptist, all came together to partner with Mello in this venture that he is being sent out not by one church, but by like 10 churches, all sending him out with support, with people. Like literally from Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, a family moved down to partner with Mellow. Isn't that crazy? There's, I think, 10 families that went from Mosaic Church to partner with Mellow in this as well. See, we're not the heroes of the story. God is. He is doing this incredible work. But we as a church are sending Mello with ongoing financial support and with families to go and to see a gospel movement take place in Apopka. And we trust that God's already been doing that. Now, this morning, uh, Mello and, uh, and Nicole and his entire family and uh, their team were able to be on stage where myself and some of our other elders were able to lay hands on Mello and his team and pray over them that they would be able to go be sent to go make disciples in Apopka. As a church, we want to grow to be a church planning church. See, we have no hope of saturating Walt Disney World, Orlando, Florida, the United States, or the world on our own. That would be nonsense. That would be insanity. It would be unhealthy. See, we need gospel partners. And if you call Mosaic at WW your home, you have a part to play in this story. So whether it is in this church, in your workplace, in our local area, in our world, we need to be asking the question, who are my gospel partners? And how do I begin to grow in gospel partnership?
So when you walked in this evening, you were handed a card. It says Gospel Partners on the top. And now it probably makes sense why you were handed that at this point. What we're going to do is we're going to take a couple of minutes for you to consider and pray through who are your Gospel Partners in each area of your life. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple of minutes and you're going to see on there a few different categories. Um, it looks like this, just in case you don't remember what you were handed. Um, it says, who are your gospel partners inside Mosaic? In my household or family? In my neighborhood? In my workplace? Now, with each of those, I put, we put three spaces for names. Now, maybe you have none in any, one of these spaces. Don't worry, that's okay. It's okay. I promise it's okay. And by the way, if Mosaic is not your home church, maybe you have another local church you're already a part of, awesome. Scratch out the word Mosaic and write the name of your local church. That's awesome too. But you should have, the goal should be, we should be growing in gospel partnerships with one another, with those that we might live with or our families back home, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. And if you don't have it, what I'd love for you to do is to simply write a prayer in that space, asking that God would begin to create a gospel partnership with maybe you've discovered there are some believers in your work location that you've never befriended before. Or maybe you're the only believer and pray that God would somehow allow you to have the opportunity to lead somebody to know Jesus, that you would have a gospel partner or he brings in a transfer or whatever else. So that's the idea behind this that you would be able to write down those gospel partners. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna take two minutes. And in doing so, feel free to pray through this. See if there's some individuals that God would lead you to write down um, and write down some prayers with that. Or just simply look at this and reflect and pray. Either way, go ahead. And we're just gonna have the band play softly behind for a couple minutes.
So with your card, here's what I'd love for you to do. Maybe keep it in your Bible as a bookmark. Maybe put it in your car. Maybe put it on your mirror in your bathroom, on your fridge. Put it somewhere where you can remember the people that you can turn to, or that you can learn to turn to, that you can begin to have some gospel conversations with. That you would begin to build these relationships into strong gospel partnerships. Because if your life's anything like mine, you realize that we are a community that needs more of the gospel. We have families who need more of the gospel. We have roommates who need more of the gospel. We have work locations that need more of the gospel. We have neighborhoods who need more of the gospel. And we need more of the gospel. So we need those gospel partnerships. So let's pray and ask God to begin to do this work in us and through us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to build gospel partnerships. It is, I mean, honestly, God, it's grace. It is your grace that we can even do this. So Lord, I pray over each of those names that we might've written down, that we would be able to turn to these individuals when we are struggling, that we can turn to them when we have cause for celebration, that we can invite them to do the same with us that we would see every moment as an opportunity for the gospel, that we'd see every moment as an opportunity to make you known, that we'd see our work locations, our roommate situations, our church community, all its opportunities to make you known in your world. So Lord, use us, use your kids. We want in on the story. I pray that you would do this work. Lord, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.